Welcome to this audio-only special bonus episode of the Tune Under podcast. Uh, I am Jack, and I'm here today to talk again about financial fair play and Newcastle United and how the how the two things are interacting. Um, we've talked quite a lot about financial fair play on the Tune Under pod. Um, we I did a podcast around two months ago now uh, with reference to a Swiss Ramble Twitter thread, which he did just after the takeover happened about how Newcastle might work within financial fair play. And then we had Kieran Maguire, the football finance expert on the pod, to talk to us more in depth about financial fair play as well and the impact on Newcastle United. So Swiss Ramble did another thread three or four days ago on Twitter and absolutely fantastic, really informative uh, about any football finance, but particularly, obviously, for us with the interest on Newcastle. So what I'm going to do is talk through basically what that thread was about, um, what he said, uh, what's the key takeaway information from it, and then I'm going to sort of draw some conclusions or some a summary of kind of what I have taken away from it and what I think would be good for Newcastle fans to kind of focus on and think about in terms of financial fair play. Um, so I'm going to get right into it. I think the first thing to to say really um, is that there's, a, there's a, a difference between financial fair play, which is the UEFA regulations and the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules. So the profit and sustainability rules are based on the financial fair play rules, but there is a, a slight difference um, in the amounts and some of the figures within the regulations. Um, the financial fair play is for is applicable to clubs who are in UEFA competition, so that's the European competitions, and every Premier League club has to abide by the profit and sustainability rules. So the profit and sustainability rules um, allow clubs to lose 35 million per year um, over a three-year monitoring period, which per year over a three-year monitoring period, which equates to 105 million over that uh, period of time. Um, Newcastle made a 95 million profit and sustainability profit in the three-year period up to 2020, 2021 accounts, which are the last available accounts. Um, and added to the 105 million over that period has given this kind of headline potential spend um, after 2021 of 200 million pounds. Um, with, with amortization, which is when transfer fees are written off evenly over the length of a contract, so say Bruno cost 40 million just for the sake of argument and it was a four-year contract, then that would contribute 10 million per year towards the financial fair play or the profit and sustainability. So with, with that amortization, Newcastle could have spent a lot more than that 200 million um, surplus that they had. Uh, so with wages factored in as well, Newcastle could have spent around 600 million on, um, on the, the profit and sustainability on transfers and still remained within that limit. But obviously it's not advisable to spend to the limit because it impacts future future year spending, which is something that the club and Eddie Howe have been keen to stress. 
Uh, there is probably a bit of information in here that um, you have heard before if you've listened to the previous podcasts we've done. But bear with me because there is new information as well, which uh, is relevant for for now, especially in the context of the transfer window with the three weeks left and where there's still the club is still trying to do some business. Um, so Newcastle's wages of 107 million in 2020 to 21 uh, was the 17th highest in the Premier League, um, and was at least 200 million behind the top four clubs. Uh, we know that, that that's no real surprise to anyone. We know that that's how Mike Ashley ran the club. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't really interested in pushing or trying to trying to have much ambition to break into even the top half. Really, uh, he was happy with what he was using the club for as a big billboard for his sports shop. Um, so again, some of this information is not new, but it's it's worth going back over it again because it's all relevant to when Newcastle are with financial fair play at the moment. Um, something that the last Swiss Ramble thread didn't account for because it couldn't because it was straight after the takeover happened was the activity in 2021 to 22, which was basically the last uh, transfer window, January, um, where we signed four players permanently and we signed Matt Target on loan, who's obviously now become permanent as well. But that transfer window led to an increase in annual cost of around fifty-two million pounds, and then the activity so far in this transfer window with the three signings has meant that there's been a further twenty-three million pound impact for the twenty twenty-two to twenty-three accounts, uh, which is two accounting periods time. Um, so, therefore, Newcastle have have used up with with those transfers since the takeover have used up 74 million pounds of that theoretical 200 million pound potential spend um the that spend of 200 million it is it is a headline figure it's something that has you know a round figure to kind of grab the attention but that spend is based on a monitoring period up to 2020 to 21 so the last three years of Mike Ashley, and it's a it's a moving target. So, for example, that included a twenty three million pound profit from 2017-2018, which then falls out of the calculation the, the following season, next season, and a forty one million pound profit from 2018-2019, which then falls out of the calculation in two years' time. So. You can see how the club have to be careful uh, about what they're spending uh, because those profit profitable years are going to drop out of the equation soon. Um, factor that factor that that those profitable years dropping out with the seventy four million pounds spent since twenty 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 one, and then that further impacts the potential spend. So Newcastle. Uh, th- I wouldn't say they've got a tight budget uh, because they've spent £35 million on Sven Botman um, and we've, we've bid for Bruno. But the reason why the budget is not maybe what fans thought it might be, uh, either within Newcastle or sort of the wider football world who took sometimes took a lot of pleasure in sort of saying that Newcastle fans thought we were going to be signing Haaland and Neymar and all this nonsense. But the reason why there is a, a budget and why there's not free spending is 
because of the expenditure since the takeover and because the club have got an eye on the future transfer windows as well as those profitable years dropping out. So Eddie Howe has said that the more money you spend in one window, the more it impacts your ability to spend in windows beyond with reference to these financial fair play rules. Um, that's a pretty, it's just a statement of fact, really. Um, but whenever he says something like that, it makes people worry that we're not going to be able to get in these attacking reinforcements that we, that, you know, that most people can see we do need them um, for, you know, a good chance of success this season. Um, going to talk a bit about the ways to increase the limits of the, the financial fair play now. Um, it comes as no surprise to anybody that the key to spending more on players is revenue growth. Uh, Manchester City's Manchester City are always a club that um, are useful for us to compare to because of their own takeover. But their takeover and Chelsea's takeover came, original takeover Chelsea's, came at a time before these rules were in place. Uh, so... But they're still a useful sort of barometer for, for us to look at what they did and what we might be able to do and what we can't do that they did. But Manchester City's revenue went from 82 million before their takeover to 570 million by 2018, which is a you know five, six times increase. Newcastle's revenue of 140 million in 2020-21 was the 15th highest in the Premier League. Uh, unless the revenue is less than a third of the top four, uh, which shows the the work that Newcastle have got to do to kind of catch up to there, and also shows the the neglect or the the lack of sort of care that Mike Ashley had about um, making Newcastle be the best it could be. Uh, the commercial revenue for Newcastle in 2020-21 was just twenty one million pounds which is less than a tenth of what Manchester City, Manchester United and Liverpool bring in. Um, but it's also behind Brighton, behind Leeds, Wolves and Villa. So that was a real area of stagnation uh, under Mike Ashley. The the Fun 88 sponsorship, shirt sponsorship for Newcastle of £8 million is the joint tenth in the Premier League. Uh, but you compare it to Manchester City, who get fifty million for their shirt sponsorship with Etihad. Manchester United get forty-seven million, and the rest of the top six clubs get forty million each. Uh, Fun eighty-eight has been terminated two years early, which is is good news. Um, and that's they. This is their last season, so next season, Newcastle will be looking at replacing that. And Newcastle have kind of already sort of set a bit of a benchmark for what we might be looking for with a shirt sponsorship by agreeing a seven and a half million pound sleeve sponsorship with noon which is the middle eastern sort of version of amazon by all accounts um manchester city's commercial revenue went from 21 million pounds in 2008 pre their takeover to 272 million in 2021 which again is more than a ten times tenfold increase. Um, but any new sponsorships that when Newcastle got taken over, first of all the, the the Premier League rushed through this rule where you weren't allowed to have party related um, sponsorship deals. I think that they were worried about New, about Newcastle's coming in and get 
setting all these sponsorships up with companies, Saudi Arabian companies, uh, run by PIF or part owned by PIF. Um, so then that I think they realized that, that was probably highly illegal in the long term. So the, the rule now is that spon- new sponsorships have to be deemed to be fair value under the rules. Um, the Manchester City's Etihad deal of 50 million for the shirt sponsorship was deemed to be fair value. But what I would say there is that Manchester City have got Champions League football. They've got they've had a decade really of, uh, of consistent on on field success, and they've got a global profile now. So I think I'm not sure Newcastle are going to be able to argue that we should be able to get a 50 million shirt sponsorship, even if uh, there's somebody willing to pay that. Um, so that's one area is the revenue growth and the commercial. And another area is player trading. Uh, this is this is a, a big a big way of ensuring profit and sustainability, financial fair play compliance. Uh, and you you look at Chelsea, who've made a three hundred forty four million pound profit from, or they've made three hundred forty four million pounds in player sales since twenty eighteen. Liverpool have made two hundred thirty five million in player sales. This isn't profit. This is just what they've made from player sales. Newcastle have made a 56 million um, income from player sales in that time. Uh, you know, Newcastle haven't really sold anybody of note since uh, since we got relegated, and Sissoko and Wijnaldum went for 30 million and 25 million respectively. So the player trading is a real big a real big area, and it's going to be going to be a focus. But obviously, that's going to take time to get players that we that we want to sell that aren't essential to the team. Um, and if we can, what, what I'm going to talk about the academy in a moment as well and the system there and how that can contribute to player sales. But European qualification as well uh, is a big one. In, last, in 2020-21, England's Champions League teams earned between £70 million to £105 million pounds. And the Europa League was worth between 14 and 26 million. Big jump there from the Europa to the Champions League. But either way, you're not going to sniff at an extra 14, 15 million for Europa League participation if you get the opportunity. Um, I was talking about the difference between FFP, the UEFA FFP rules, and the Premier League profit and sustainability rules earlier. So the FFP is only applicable to teams in European competition. And, and the, those rules are stricter than the profit and sustainability with less allowable losses. Um, and they, they've, they've actually replaced or they're in the process of replacing FFP with a new, what they're calling a squad cost rule, which is where wages, transfer fees and agent fees are going to be limited to 70% of a club's revenue and profit. So that's that that seventy percent um, aspect is isn't going to be in place until twenty twenty five the twenty twenty six season, um, but they're going to do it graduated over a period of time to give clubs an opportunity to get the house in order and be compliant with that. So I think next season it'll be ninety percent and then eighty percent the season after. So it's kind of incremental, but that is on the horizon, which is going to replace FFP, although the you know, we spoke to Kieran Maguire about this um, and what the impact of FFP has been and what it might be. 
and there's kind of consensus that the purpose of FFP is to try and create a closed shop for the elite clubs. Um, so that's still probably a significant part of it, and we'll see how that changes things. Um, but really good news for Newcastle is that there are, there's no change to the infrastructure spending guidelines. So there was some talk that the new rules were going to have restrictions on infrastructure spending, um, but that's that's been confirmed that there's no change to that, which means that Newcastle can invest as much as they want in the stadium, in the training ground, in the academy. Um, Newcastle have already said that they're going to, well, they've already started work upgrading the current training ground uh, and they've already, they're already looking for sites or there's work going on to try and make plans for a long-term um, training ground and academy complex, which again is going to be a kind of a long-term project, but that's on the horizon. Newcastle only spent £7 million in infrastructure in the last 10 years which is the lowest in the Premier League uh, by distance. And it, um, it exemplifies what that, that, as much as anything, just shows the, the neglect under Mike Ashley. Um, I talk a little bit about the academy there. So the academy has been key to Manchester City's strategy. Um, Liverpool and Chelsea also have have a, a record track record of producing academy players who they can then sell for big fees. Um, I'm thinking of the likes of Brewster at Liverpool, who they sold for 20 million to Sheffield United. Um, you've got the likes of um, Jordan Ibe for 15 million, I think it was, who went to Bournemouth. Um, but that's kind of that's what you can do when you when you've got an academy like that that's producing the talent. Uh, and Chelsea have done this over the years as well. You know, these clubs are regularly, Manchester City, regularly selling academy players who are nowhere near their first team for £10 million plus. Uh, and when you can do that, you can see how that's... You, you, you have an absolutely no impact on your on your first team or your chances of success, but you're bumping up your ability to spend on wages and on transfer fees and agent fees and stick within these these FFP restrictions when you can make money like that from players you don't even need. Um, so the, the, and the Academy can be from sometimes it's from young players coming through local players, or you might have an extensive sort of worldwide uh, scouting network, which can pick, pick players up, bring them into the Academy. And then very few probably do make it for the, to the first team. The ones that do are obviously of extremely high standard, and the others, the others might not necessarily be high standard. Um, Brewster's not done much at Sheffield United, and I certainly didn't, for whatever reason. But there's a lot of Chelsea players that have gone as gone as well and not really done much. Um, but it's it's a benefit to the to those clubs to get those players and sell them on, and just having the the link with the club um, can can add value to players as well. Talk, talking about Everton, who they spent £647 million on players in just five years. Um, that's not... They, they don't seem to have um, come up against any kind of punishment for that yet, other than the fact that they, they nearly got relegated last season and the squad's still not very good now. And they've got Frank Lampard as the manager. Um, 
But Newcastle need to look at Everton and avoid these these mistakes. Uh, they they didn't have the right recruitment strategy. They probably didn't have the right scouting to be able to get to be able to spend that six hundred and fifty million uh, in in a kind of coordinated and intelligent way, uh, which has left them up the creek a little bit. Um, Amanda Staveley has talked about the need to build a sustainable, viable club that can eventually survive on its own. Uh, so she's also talked about winning the league within five years. So whether those things uh, are kind of compatible with each other it remains to be seen. But I think that uh, desire and that that sort of statement about wanting to build a club that's going to be sustainable uh, is one that... Newcastle fans, I'm certainly excited about that. It's not, it's not necessarily an exciting, an exciting thing, uh, headline grabbing thing, but I think it's the way that it has to be within the financial fair play, within the, the restrictions. But also, I just think it's a sensible way to to build a club and to to run things. So there's that there's that clear desire to act responsibly with the eye on the future, as well as to stay within those financial restrictions. So that's what the sort of thread, um, a summary of what the, th- the Swiss Ramble thread said. Um, I'm just going to sort of run through some of my my key takeaways from that and some of the conclusions that I I came up came up with or thought about when I was when I was doing that. Um, the the 200 million headline uh, is a, a nice, like I said, a nice round figure for a headline. Um, possible spend figure and the, the the sort of implication there is that Newcastle have got a 200 million pound budget which they can go out and spend but as we as we discussed that doesn't take into account the three-year rolling period um which which means that those years of profitability are going to drop out and it also doesn't take into account the spend since the takeover which has been very significant the this is no real surprise, but the commercial growth, the commercial growth is going to be really important. Um, we need to wait until current deals expire to be able to benefit from this, um, and to be able to to strike new deals. And with the new rules brought in uh, after the Newcastle takeover, we're going to have to argue what is fair value. Um, like I said, I don't think we're going to be able to argue that a 50 million shirt sponsorship is fair value for Newcastle because we don't have that that 10 year history of success on on the pitch, and we're not a regular Champions League club. So I think that's that's going to take time to catch up to the Champions League clubs before we can be striking those kinds of deals. Um, a real big takeaway for me was that we need better players to sell. So whether that's through the academy, which is clearly a long-term objective, or whether it's just by having a better squad and by having players uh, that we that are not essential first-team players for us that we can sell to other clubs, um, which is something which was kind of quite novel um, after the, you know, the Mike Ashley years where we did... We did do this occasionally. Uh, we, w- we were sold as a stepping stone club, I suppose. So we ended up getting good money for players like Johan Kabai, 
we got relegated and we sold Sissoko and Wijnaldum, which was necessary financially. Um, we sold Perez. I would say Perez went for 30 million. He's probably the last big one that went. And then, of course, Andy Carroll went back all those years ago as well. Um, so we don't actually have anyone in the squad now that we would want to sell that's really worth too much. You probably look at players like Maxi, um, who might bring in 45 million or so, but he's a, he's an, still an important first team player. And we're certainly not going to be wanting to sell the other saleable assets we do have, which is basically, you know, Bruno Botman. They've only just signed Joe Linton probably as well. Um, players that are of an, who are of an age that might interest other clubs but what we need so what we need to do is get into a position where we've got players on the bench or you know players who are not essential first team players who we can still sell for a decent decent money and again that's going to take time um and it's going to take a degree of on pitch success or you know this 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 ambition that we've got to keep going uh, so we we can sell some some players and start contributing to the um, the financial fair play income in that way. Um, I think that the club's current approach might be frustrating in the short term uh, when there's a, there's an obvious need for better players. I do. I mean, it still is apparent that we are still trying to sign players, but we seem to be trying to kind of structure deals in a certain way so it's not going to impact our whether it's a with a, a lower upfront payment um so and we also seem to have a real set value on what we're going to pay for players which i think is a, a good thing we're not going to we're not just going to go and sort of accede to um uh, to demands of clubs who think who, who stick a newcastle tax on their players like manchester united did with lingard in january um, so there's a couple of things going on there, um, but I do kind of acknowledge that it's going to be a bit, it might be a bit frustrating in the short term when we all know that we need at least one, one new attacker for the benefit of the first, the first team at the moment. But I think the really important point is that it has the long-term interests of the club at its core, this approach. And that's what it's all about. That's what Staveley and uh, Gadusi and what Eddie Howe has been saying. Uh, and I think their actions since the takeover has has demonstrated that this is a long term project. It's not a short term thing, and it's it's definitely not a vanity project where the, the Saudis want to come in and just you know buy sort of names like Neymar or somebody like that. Um, but because that wouldn't make that wouldn't make sense in the long term. And it's it's worth pointing out that we still have spent. 75 million or thereabouts on just two players since the takeover, which was Bruno and Botman. And we've signed an entire new goalkeeper and defensive unit. So we've, we've, we've signed more than half a team since, since the takeover happened. And so the money has been spent and the money does appear to still be there for the right player, but they're not going to be taken for a ride. They're not going to be taken advantage of. Um, And they, they're intelligent people, you know, smart operators. They they know what needs to be done and what needs to happen. Um, but I guess what they're doing is um, trying to walk this this tightrope, this balancing act um, of all of the factors they've got to weigh up. Um, another point is that 
we should be in a position to attract a higher caliber of player next summer when we're a bit longer into this into this project and this new ambitious club. Um, and we might have some kind of European football on the horizon. Uh, at the end of this season would be fantastic. would mean that we, we've had a really good season. Uh, there's probably an argument to say that that's a lot more likely if we do sign, um, sign a, an attacker or two before the end of the transfer window. Um, but we, we, sh- we definitely should be in a position once we've had a, a, se- a full season to attract a higher, better players. And so the club might be kind of thinking, let's, instead of just going to spend sort of, you know, 15 or 20 million or 40 million or whatever it might be, instead of doing that on players who are maybe those stepping stone players who we're going to need to replace in a year or two anyway, why not wait until we can attract better players for that money? Um, and there's also still a wage... Um, I don't know. I don't know if they've officially put a wage cap in place, but there there's a precedent for players like Trippier and Bruno, where we're not going to be wanting to pay too much more than what they're getting paid in wages, if anything. So there's kind of a lot to a lot to weigh up there. Um, uh, Eddie Howe has been clear from the beginning about only buying players who are going to improve the first team and who are going to make us better. Um, I think. The likes of Chris Wood was a bit of an exception to that because we just needed to strike it desperately. But it would be easy for us to go out and sign players for what, you know, 15, 20 million. Um, but, and everyone would get excited, but they might not necessarily be the right fit. Uh, and they might not necessarily be the right characters as well for what, for what, what we want to fit into the squad. And that's been a real, a real big factor in, in signings has been the character, the squad measure, the squad building has been really measured and sensible with a real, a real focus on players with the good character, which Eddie Howe has been adamant is going to, going to continue and which has been important. And you, you only have to look at the club now to see the, the benefit of getting these, these good characters in and these good people. So the, the last kind of point I, w- I wanted to make as well about this, which I thought about, is that the the appointments off the field have at Newcastle have, have really demonstrated what the strategy is going to be. You look at Dan Ashworth, uh, who has a track record, a clear track record of, of good recruitment, scouting, uh, and the academy, and in joining the department up. And all you have to do is all you have to do is look at Brighton and see what they've done over the last few sort of few seasons with him in charge. Um, it took a while for him there as well for the for the impact of what he was doing to become apparent. But the result of that was seen on the pitch in the first game of the season at Old Trafford, where there was a number of players in there that had been scouted and recruited um, for and bought for, you know, not very much money who were now worth a lot more than that. And you look at the sale, the big sales they've had of Basuma and Cucurella as well this summer. So Ashworth's clearly uh, a key part in this puzzle and he's going to be running things and joining everything up. And the other key appointment has been Darren Eels, who had the, uh, he had the commercial success when he was at Atlanta United and he's got that experience of 
building a club literally from nothing. Um, Newcastle aren't at nothing. He's, he hasn't got the blank slate he had at Atlanta United. But he had the commercial success and he, he built that club and he turned Atlanta United into who didn't even exist uh, in, until 2018. He turned them into a, a club with the, the t- one of the top 10 attendances in the whole world for football. So that shows you the kind of calibre and the standard of the people that are in at the club now and who are running the show. And we've got to be really, really excited about that. And we've got Eddie Howe, who's, of course, got the coaching credentials. So speaking personally from a personal point of view, I trust in them. I trust in those people 100%. And I feel like the owners have have done enough in their time since coming in to, to be afforded trust as well. Uh, and I think we need to understand the try and understand the positions they're in uh look at the big picture and see that this really is for sort of the long term the long term interest of the club thanks for listening uh, probably went a little bit longer than i thought it would but it's um it's it's good to get into this stuff and uh, it's really it's really amazing that you can get this kind of uh, information from Twitter accounts like Swiss Ramble and from people like Kieran Maguire, uh, who can put some meat on the bones of this um, this information and can can really sort of let you know what the what the headline um, figures, which the newspapers go sort of why why they're not always always accurate or why there's more to it than meets the eye. All right, thank you very much. We uh, will be back. We're, the season started now, so we've got more transfer window chat coming up, and we've got we've got more um, we've got the match reviews and the match previews going now as well. So I will speak to you soon. Cheers. <laughs>